I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Peace, everybody. This is Joe Conzo from the birthplace of hip hop, the Bronx, the man who took hip hop's baby pictures, giving a shout out to Rebel Radio and all that they do and document and continue to do. Big shout out to Josh. <laughs> Fuck you, Josh. <laughs> not once, not twice, but three times. <laughs> What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh? Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I bring you the Rebels who are shaping our culture. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This week, man, we have a good one. For my old school hip hop heads, Joe Conzo grew up in the South Bronx, uh, went to school with Cold Crush, and uh, was their their homie and their photographer. And he photographed the infancy of hip hop culture, pretty much from from the very beginning. We we talk about some great old school stories, um, not only from hip hop but also his father was uh, was involved in the Latin music scene with a lot of the major players there. And so we there's some great music stories. Um, and we talk about Joe's journey into hip hop, into some personal troubles. Um, he had, uh, I'm not gonna spoil it for you, but he had a front row seat to 9-11. And uh, we talk about all those things and how they shaped him. And it's really an amazing story of perseverance and just loving the culture and staying with it. Joe has a new book out, Born in the Bronx. Make sure you go get it. Um, I think you can get it at One Time Run. That's onexrun.com. A lot of his amazing photography from over the years. Uh, and let's get into the interview. Some some of these hip hop heads, you know, barely speak English, but they yeah. can say Joe Conzo, Cold Crush Brothers. Can I have your autograph? You know Incredible. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, That's it's, amazing. it's just mind blowing. That's amazing. Well, cool, man. Well, I'm excited to talk to you, finally meet you. Um, I want to talk about Born in the Bronx. I want to talk about you and your your journey. 
and all this. So if you don't mind, um, take me back to the very beginning. I know you grew up around music, uh, you know, before hip hop. Um, first of all, do you remember the first record you ever bought for yourself? Uh, it had to be the first record I ever bought for myself was probably uh, a Mandrill record so, you know the so, cover of, yeah, of yeah. the uh with the ape on this it morph yeah with the ape morphing into you know that was probably one of my first records i ever brought um i grew up in a music household because a my mother was a dancer she graduated from uh performing arts high school mm -hmm. um she was supposed to be in the traveling production of west side story oh wow um but she became pregnant with me. And uh, the joke in the family was that I ended her dancing career. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, my dad was a, a struggling uh, a conga player mm. who was befriended by Tito Puente. So that became a you know long historical friendship yeah. for years. So, you know, I mean, I grew up listening to to Miriam Makeba, to, you know, Tito Puente, to, you know, you name it, a whole gamut of, of musicians. And um, the way I tell the story is that, you know, I was a disco head wearing mm -hmm. bell-bottom lead jeans and, and things, of, right. you know, dressing up like that, big collar shirts. And... Um, being kidnapped into this culture that would become hip hop. Sure. Hip hop. Do you remember? So, you know, some of my earliest recollections of, of this culture in the Bronx during that time, music was playing out in the streets um, before it, it was called hip hop. Um, sure. You would walk on any street corner um, and see, you know, musicians playing congas, timbales, the guido, you know, mm -hmm. and just playing music out in the streets um, in, in the parks. Um, and I just happened to have gone to high school with, you know, two guys who were forming a group um, called the Coke Crush Brothers. And that was Easy AD and uh, DJ Tony Tone. And prior to that, they had already been in, immersed in this in this culture. But I, you know, became a part of it because I got invited to to photograph. I was the high school photographer. Okay. Um, AD was a, a AD was the high school you know uh, basketball star, and um, I just got invited to shoot this jam that they were doing. Mm. and the rest is history but to me you know the beginning was like uh, you know say 77 78 maybe a little sure. bit earlier than that yeah before uh, rapper's delight and, you know uh, it, it, it music was just so prevalent in the bronx and in new york city at that right. time yeah Talk about Cold Crush a little bit. I mean, I, you know, to me, I've always thought of them as kind of the unsung heroes um, that, you know, we've heard the stories. There's movies made about 
you know, some of the other cats, you know, Cool Herc and, and Grandmaster Flash. And, uh, you know, I think there's other people whose stories have really been told. And those guys, um, you know, had a huge impact and influence on the culture at the time. But I don't think their story has been told as much. So what, what and, I, and I've seen you refer to them as the greatest hip hop group ever. Um, so it, tell me about that for you. I'm a little biased, but, okay. you know, you, you got to understand the, the foundation of this group. You had a writer, as in Grandmaster Kaz, who was doing these, these verses based off of, you know, uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan, the famous, you know, you know songwriters, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 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 and it was just so uncommon to to hear these cadences in these verses, these these bars, so to speak, based on you know, uh, I don't know lack of better words, white you know songwriters, so to speak. Sure. Yeah. But this is what we grew up on. There was no FM radio at that time. Well, yes. maybe it just came came about. Yeah. But we were all growing up listening to Cousin Brucey on, you know, WABC radio, right. you know, and, and, and AM radio. And to have Kaz put pen to paper on these writers, it was just phenomenal. You know, and then to the harmonizing of four... Four teenagers on a mic mm-hmm. was just incredible, and then you throw on top and you throw in there routines. You throw in, you know, smoke machines. You throw in, uh, uh, you know, outfits for their shows. It was a show that you went to. It right. wasn't, you know, four guys on a mic walking back and forth rapping mm-hmm. as like mm-hmm. you see today it was a full-out production you know what i mean and then you know for them to have the foresight to a get a photographer like me who i would shoot their shows run home develop a hundred eight by tens so for next week's show we can throw out eight by ten photos oh wow that's cool you know it's just phenomenal. And then, you know, to incorporate my images on flyers that Buddy Esquire phase two were yeah. doing, this is all before the internet, this, that, and the other, you know, we'd break into the school, you know, mimeograph room. There was no Xerox machines at the time. Mm-hmm. So you, you would have to use a mimeograph machine, burn a stencil, make up a thousand flyers, Yep. and pass them out, you know, they were just so ahead of their time where, you know, you, their reference, you know, in Jay-Z's records and TV shows like Empire and, you know, and it's sad that they never, you know, they had two record deals at the time, punk rock, rock punk rock rap, The weekend, 
mm-hmm. which were, you know, whack-ass record deals and sure. whack-ass records pretty much. Yeah. The only real success or close to success was a fresh fly while in bold. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're talking at a time where uh, there were teenagers, no lawyers involved, no nothing. Sure. And just signing away their, their life, you know? Yeah. And, and I be- think, I think it, it wasn't a business at that time for most people. No, right? it, wasn't. it wasn't. Nobody really thought that it was going to be what it is or no. not to even think about that stuff. No, no. Um, you know, today we're celebrating what? The 39th, 40th anniversary of Wild Styles, the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have, I have pictures of, of, of them signing the contract for the, for the movie with Charlie oh, Ahern. Cool. Nice. And if, if, if memory serves, serves me correctly, they each would receive 50 cents divided up 60 ways, I mean, wow. six ways yeah. for the rest of their life. You right. know what I mean? But, yeah. you know, kudos to Charlie Ahern, who still writes them a check every year whether it's a couple of hundred bucks. Sure. Sure. You know what I mean? But like nobody knew or had the foresight that this would become a billion dollar industry. Of course. And so, you know, so uh, what were, what were you thinking at the time? So you're, you're taking photos and you're part of the group in a, in a way. Right. And, and now so, I think now our artists are like, they know that the, the filmmaker is, is essential. Well, uh, to yeah, that team. Listen, uh, you know, the photographers don't get the credit that they should get. Sure. You know what I mean? Especially the ones that documented the scene back then. Um, I always tell people that, you know, if you love this culture so much, you know, close your eyes. What do you see? Mm. Now open them. That's what I bring to the culture, the visuals. Um, yeah. You know, shooting back then, I was part of the band, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I traveled with them pretty much to every jam for a span of four or five years. And, you know, again, these were just my friends that I just took pictures of. Yeah. I had no idea or I had aspirations of becoming a world famous photographer and traveling and working for UPI, API, Playboy, you you know, all the Mm -hmm. big magazines, just any other. Those were my dreams. Sure. It took 30 years for me to get discovered, so to speak. But, you know, again, you know, I was just living the moment and, you know, everything was about next Friday and next Saturday. Right. You know, and I had nobody, nobody was publishing, you know, pictures from that time. Nobody was giving us airplay. Even, even after Rapper's Delight, you know, that was a fluke that just got on the radio because of, who put it out that's right sylvia robinson you know and, but um you know that's when things changed things changed it became a commercial and everybody yeah. tried to to put that on wax and bobby robinson and all these you know pop-up labels mm-hmm. and, you know and the cold crush just didn't have the success as some other groups did or reap the benefits, sure. but could go toe to toe with anybody, toe to toe, toe to toe. 
Yeah. And their underground success is rivaled pretty much by nobody. Yeah. And so I, I you know, sometimes I think it's hard, it's easy to forget that uh, life went by sometimes weeks, months at a time for us without being photographed. Right. And now like my, my I have 11 year old son, you know, I've been taking pictures of him almost every day of his life just because, you know, it's there. Uh, but we didn't, but we didn't grow up that way. Right. Like, you, you know, and so, so how, how do you think about that essence of like documenting a moment and a culture and how is that uh, different today versus when you were coming up? Well, first and foremost, um, I, I had a love and passion for the art form of photography. I was a chubby little kid, you know, with a big Angela Davis afro. <laughs> wasn't that athletic, wasn't that, you know, gifted, you know, didn't have the gift of gab. Um, wasn't a DJ or MC or, you know, a B-boy or anything like that. But I had a camera, which was a vehicle for me to break the ice, so mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. And I walked around with a camera all the time, all the time, not knowing that I'd be documenting A, a genre of music, B, a, a, a moment in time in the Bronx that it was going through when the Bronx was burning, yeah. C, the social activism that was going on, and D, you know, the flip side of, of, of this hip hop music was uh, the Latin music explosion that was going on. My, my dad was Tito Puente's uh, personal confidant mm. that I got to hang on his coattail and meet all these Latin giants that I referred to as, you know, Dio and Titi, mm -hmm. which means, you know, uncle and auntie. Right. And just take pictures. And if it wasn't for the support of my mother, who supported my passion in photography, we probably wouldn't be talking. She allowed me to build a dark room in our second bathroom where I oh, spent wow. hours developing my, my, my skills, developing my film. I, you know, go buy a, a nickel bag of weed, you know, put on a Cold Crush Brothers tape from last week, mm -hmm. drop it in the boom box and just spend hours in the dark room developing film and pictures, not knowing that I was documenting something, sure. you know. Um, so, again, it, it was the support from my family because of my love and passion. You know, I, I did a year and a half in School of Visual Arts, which is a fine arts college in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, had to drop out because we couldn't afford it. But it, it was just a love and passion. And it was the support of my photography. And, you know, photographers were a dime a dozen back then. Dime a dozen. And I could, I, you know, couldn't get a job. I had several jobs at a high school and during college working for fine arts photographers, honing my skill okay. with large format cameras and, and, and things of that nature. But um, then came the drugs and the cameras sure. and the equipment were sold off and uh, 
those I call my lost years. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. But, um, you know, if it wasn't for my mother saving my negatives, you know, again, you know, Cornell would not have, you know, 10,000 of my negatives today that you can do research on. I probably, you know, probably wouldn't be speaking to you, like I said before, and probably wouldn't have had the journey that I've been having the last 15, 20 years. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, that's incredible. And, and, you know, the drugs, they, you know, they come with the culture, they come with youth. Um, and, uh, they have, you know, they affect us all differently. Um, some people dip in and out and some people, you know, check in and stay for a while or forever or whatever. And that's, as you said, that's part of the journey. It's sad. It's sad. It's sad. Um, you know, to me, uh, I was always afraid of drugs because my father was a a heroin addict at the, during, uh, my younger years. Mm-hmm. And remember, you know, the trials and tribulations he went to. So I swore drugs off, but then it became a social thing of hanging out. Sure. You know, and it started out, you know, like any addiction, you start with the small stuff and right. you work your way up to the big stuff. Yeah. And um, when I experienced death for the very first time, that was a pain that I had never experienced. And that was the death of my grandmother, who was the matriarch of my family. And I turned to drugs. And that was, you know, uh, a mistake. And it turned out that every time I experienced something, that's what I turned to. And next thing you know, I was homeless and, you know, selling off all my equipment and shit. But, you know, my, my, my bottom was getting arrested for the first time mm. and spending 24 hours in, in central booking in jail. And when I went before the judge, I just threw up my hands and he was like, you know, you got no record or anything like that. I'm going to cut you a break and mandate you to a drug program. And I haven't looked back since it's been 30 years. Nice. Yeah. That's great to hear. Um, so where do you turn to now when those, moments of pain or loss come up i i it's funny uh somebody asked me that same question the other day faith Mm -hmm. faith because i know being a young 58 year old man that this too shall pass right whatever you're going through and if it doesn't kill you is going to make you stronger so i've had some ups and downs and you know, 9-11 and cancer and all of that. And it's yeah. the faith and support of my wife and my family that gets you through it. And, you know, you will survive. You will get through it. You will get through it. It may take some time, but you will get through it. And that's what happens when, you know, when I'm throwing those little curveballs, so to speak, in life, you know. Yeah. Deal with it on life's term and you'll get through it. No, I love hearing you say that. I mean, I, I think that our, you know, the, the obstacles, the trials and tribulations we face are, that's what make us who we are. And, uh, you know, certainly not always fun in, in the moment um, or maybe never fun in the moment. Um, but, you know, I think having that perspective, right, that, you know, this is temporary and, and we're going to make it through. 
If you want more from me and my guests, check us out over on the Stereo app. I'm doing a series of talks called Trade Secrets, where I talk to a lot of people that have been on this show. We dig into um, what what we're doing right now uh, in the pandemic to pivot, to create business opportunity, all that. We have, um, you know, we're talking about music, culture, all the stuff that that we love. Um, and what's cool about it is on Stereo, it is a social listening app. You can join in, co-host, be part of the conversation. You don't have to just listen to me run my mouth. You can listen to you run your own mouth. Join us over at Stereo.com slash Rebel Radio. We have several talks a week happening, and I hope you'll jump in. Um, so, you know, you mentioned 9-11. I know you were, you were an EMT, I believe, on site at the World Trade Center. Is it? Am I right? Yeah. So, I mean, I come from a family of activism. You know, my grandmother was affectionately known as the Hell Lady of the Bronx. <laughs> my mother started the first drug rehab for women with children in the entire country. Wow. You know, um, and I needed to do something along those lines. And becoming an EMT provided me a, a vehicle to, to, to help. <laughs> and I tell people being an EMT for, for all those years, you know, next week will be my third year anniversary of retirement that, you know, saving lives and delivering babies, you know, how much more fun can you get out of that? <laughs> and, and it was an amazing career, amazing yeah. career. And to be an EMT or paramedic in any city in this country or anywhere, you have to be sort of uh, an adrenaline junkie, so mm -hmm. to speak. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was fun helping grandma who fell and took her to the hospital and you know things of that nature but you know we we wanted the good jobs mm -hmm. the shootings the stabbings the people jumping off the, the buildings and you know as crazy it might sound but you know that's sure. what it being an adrenaline junkie is and when 9-11 happened um my partner and i had to be there we had to be there. And, uh, you know, we were one of the first ambulances from the Bronx to arrive down there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, just to roll the tape back for a second, you know, heading down there, it was just one plane into, into the World Trade Center. And after we heard on our radios that a second plane hit, the word terrorism started coming right. up. And sure. we actually thought about crashing our ambulance and not responding because none of us had been trained for terrorism. Right. And, but, you know, again, being the general adrenaline junkie that we were, <laughs> we went anyway. Yeah. And one of the most vivid scenes I remember was just driving down there and seeing thousands and thousands of people running the opposite way. And the only people going towards the towers were the, the EMTs, paramedics, firefighters, and cops. Right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, we got there, we set up what we call a, a, a command post mm -hmm. and um, we did our job. And uh, next thing you know, I'm in the vestibule of the Marriott Hotel, which sat in between both towers. Mm -hmm. And we hear this 
huge freight train roaring sound. And um, I ran into the Marriott to seek shelter. And my partner and chief ran back to the ambulance. And I was literally buried alive. Oh, my God. And literally had to dig myself out. And had no idea that the building had fallen Mm -hmm. on top. We thought another plane had hit. Mm-hmm. And I had to find my partner and he couldn't outrun the the fallen building. So he was buried under the ambulance with a broken arm, broken leg. And it was just one of those days where if you ran right, you died. If you ran sure. left, you live. Yeah. And, you know, I did, I did about almost two years of therapy. I had what's called survivor's guilt behind right. that. Yeah, of course. And, um, what came out of therapy was that uh, it wasn't my time to go. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my time to go. And I used uh, the principles of recovery that I still use today to get through those moments sure. of faith. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's, a, that's an incredible story. I can't imagine uh, what that was like to go through. I, I'm curious, you know, now we're um, 20 years later and obviously isn't that crazy yeah it's crazy crazy? how fast that was right 20 fucking years next month in september yeah um so you know looking back from today how did how did the experience change you and again you're you're a guy that captures these these moments right you know with the camera um so what what are the moments that stay with you from that experience and what, what, what do you, what do you think impact it's had on you since then? Um, first of all, to appreciate life more mm. and pre- appreciate each day more, so to speak. Um, it, it afforded me to get back into my love and passion of photography because up until that time, I was just sporadically taking pictures and stuff. And it was um, right after that that uh, I got a phone call from um, Henry Chalfont, who was doing uh, Mambo to Hip Hop mm-hmm. and wanted to license one of my, my images. We went there and we battled him and Rocksteady was there and we actually was in the circle. It's called a cypher. The crowd was like this and I was like, oh, come on, let's get in here. You gotta squeeze in because everybody's looking. You know, when there's a battle, everybody's tight. No, no, give him some room. Give him some room. Hold on. He had seen on Charlie Chase's uh, mantle. Oh, wow. And I'm like, license? Okay. Ma. <laughs> You still have my negatives? Oh, man. Yeah. Okay, I'm coming over to get them. And it was just, you know, like, wow. You know, you know, licensing an image, you know, for this documentary. Yeah. Becoming a source of income and becoming a, you know, uh, being rediscovered so or being discovered, so to speak, because... Up until then, you know, Henry Chalfant, Martha Cooper, you know, all these, you know, Ernie Panicoli, Jamel Shabazz, mm-hmm. there are people that I looked up to sure. who are doing these books. 
And I'm like, you know, uh, I can do that. You know, I have a lot of stuff that people refer to or speak about that has never been seen. And it was right after 9-11 that, you know, I got a hold of my negatives and started learning how to shoot digital because I'm, I was still shooting rolls of film. Mm-hmm. Digital photography was just coming into play at the mm-hmm. time. You know, our little cell phones were, you know, I don't think they were taking pictures at the time. And, right. and if they were, they were just such a small Oh, yeah, file. A, a little little tiny yeah. thumbnail. Yeah, thumbnails and stuff. So I had to, like, teach myself digital photography. But, um, you know, 9-11 just, just put things into perspective for me yeah. where I, I had to um, appreciate life even more because it was more precious because yeah. again, you know, that day thousands of people died and, you know, why was I still alive? So, um, you know, we have a saying in Spanish, um, no hay mal que por bien no venga. There isn't any bad that happens that good doesn't come out of it. Mm-hmm. And the good that came out of it for me was rediscovering my love and passion for photography mm-hmm. and for the culture. Yeah. And um, appreciating life even more yeah. and family. Yeah, that's great. So you talk about being sort of discovered after 30 years or rediscovered or whatever. So tell me about that. Like what uh, what happened and what what's your response? Like how how, how do you react as, as things start to happen for you? Josh, I'm humble. I I'm still can't believe that, like, even the conversation we're having today. It, again, I'm just a kid from the South Bronx. Sure. You know, that, that took pictures, you know, and to, to have traveled the world all over, you know, to, to be befriended by, you know, Michael Rappaport and all these Hollywood stars. And Kate Blanchard has been to two of my shows out in London. Uh, you know, cool. how fucking dope is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, putting out these books and, and stuff. Um, it's just a humbling experience. And, you know, again, you know, people knew who I were in certain circles, so to mm-hmm. speak, but those were small circles. Right. You know, I wasn't known sure. like the Martha Cooper's or the Jamel Shabazz's or the Ernie Panicoli's or Henry Chalfonts. Mm-hmm. They had, they knew me or heard about me and stuff. So getting to meet them after, know acquiring my negatives getting my negatives back was pretty dope and after you know henry chalfant licensing my image and next thing you know vh1 is calling me mtv mm-hmm. all these people and it's just wow i have a body of work that predates martha cooper and henry chalfant and all these right. other people yeah. and you know not to grudge or I don't know what word I'm looking for but um, Bill Adler puts it so eloquently in Jeff Chang's book uh, The Aesthetics of Hip Hop saying Joe Conzo is one of the greatest if not the greatest hip hop photographer because he comes from the culture and within the culture yeah Uh, by the way we have Jeff Chang coming up on the show uh, next week that's dope um, because yeah. I'm in Jeff's new book. Jeff, Jeff's, a, Jeff's an old, old friend. 
And uh, Brett used my image for the new revision of Can't Stop, Won't Stop. Oh, yeah, that's right. And nice. yeah. It's so, all, so the, the, yeah. the circle gets smaller. That's cool. Um, yeah. uh, now I forgot my question. <laughs> um, but you're talking about Bill Adler. And I, oh, so, so what is different? And, you know, respect to all those people that you mentioned. Um, well, what is different about coming from inside the culture and documenting it versus coming in from the outside? Again, you know, um, it, it's just, I was that fly on the wall, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, people would have looked, people would look at me back then and just, oh, that's just Joe. You know, he's right. okay. Right. You know, it, it wasn't where I took a train from downtown to take pictures of the little blacks and Puerto Rican kids spinning on their heads or riding on the walls and, and, and things of that nature and gaining their confidence, so to speak, to hang out with them. Yeah. You know, um, I was one of those little black and black brown kids within the culture, but, you know, just taking pictures, so to speak. So again, you know, I went to school with some of the founding fathers of, of the culture. And mm -hmm. so I had that carte blanche to walk into any jam or club or school gymnasium to take pictures because I was down with the Cold Crush Brothers, so to speak. Right. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's a, a different perspective, so to speak. Yeah. Love Ernie Panicoli. He has a different style of shooting. Love Henry. You know, he doesn't consider himself a photographer, but he's taken some dope shots. Charlie Ahern, same thing. Yeah. Martha, you know, Martha has a long career of being a reporter and her style is, is you know, her archives is just untouchable. Right. Untouchable. You yeah. know what I mean? Sure. But, you know, she comes from a reporting background as a, you know, a reporting photographer. Mm -hmm. And it's just a different style. Jamel's style is different, you know, and it's just, it's just, but we all complement each other. You know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. we've all traveled together and, and exhibited together. And we're such a small tight knit group of documentarian photographers that, you know, we'll bounce stuff off of each other. Or, you know, when we get these offers, licensing deals, you know, will and you know the people that are trying to license my image. Oh, Jeanette's on board, and Martha's mm -hmm. on board, and Jamel. Like, okay, That's I'll cool. call them up. How much are they paying you? And right. like, we'll all be in sync. You yeah. know what I mean? That's how yeah. small the circle is, because there weren't. There was only a handful of us taking pictures back then. So when you start getting those calls, right, and you start licensing and, and as you mentioned, you know, kind of things start happening. Um, do you like, is there, do you, is there a game plan? Do you, do you go think about, okay, you know, what am I going to do with this momentum or is it just like, you know, play it as it comes? I play it as it comes. Okay. Um, again, you know, I've been blessed with a career with the New York city fire department mm -hmm. that, my pension check comes in every month, regardless of 
any fucking pandemic or anything else <laughs> going on. I can't imagine being a freelance photographer yeah. or making a career, a, a, a single career of being a photographer sure. going through this pandemic. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, Jamel, I don't know if you know this, 20 years with the New York City Correctional Department. So, you know, his pension check is coming in regardless mm -hmm. of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Ernie also retired, I think, from um, from the communication world. But, you know, I got to give kudos to, like, Martha and all these other, you know, documentarian photographer, A, for making a living all these years. For sure. And surviving. Surviving. So I'm humbled every time I get a request to license an image. Yeah. I really am. Because as... as sarcastic or or whatever word you want to use it's gravy for me right it's gravy yeah for sure and i also i also get to pick and choose who i charge and who i don't charge you know what i mean so i often donate my images for you know academia publications mm -hmm. and this that and the other but you know if you're red bull or mtv or vh1 and this and the other you're going to sure. pay. Yeah, you should. Because I know you have the budget. Yeah. I know you have the budget. Yeah. And they're using, you know, they're using the culture to sell soda or, yeah. or sell whatever they're selling. And, and yeah. you know, which is, and which is fine too, right? We've all decided yeah. that's part of the deal. It's part of the deal. And I've learned yeah. a lot. You know, one thing I learned in this, this business of licensing is like, I never knew what the word perpetuity meant. <laughs> that's a big like, one. I got to get back to you on that. Let me look up this word perpetuity. And yeah, I'm like, an forever? Word. No, <laughs> you're not going to have the rights to this image forever. Right. So, you know, I've, I've learned a lot and I continue to learn a lot. But I like being in the driver's seat where I can say yes and no. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, just, you know, have control of, of, of my archives. Um, I love the fact that Cornell came on board years ago. And at that time, it was one of the biggest checks that I had ever received. But to have my negatives sit on the same shelf as the Gettysburg Address was so fucking dope to me. Yeah, And, you know, for, for people to be able to research my images, to me, is priceless. Priceless. Yeah. And, you know, for my good friend, Johan Kugelberg, who opened the door to that, to make that happen, I'm in so indebted to because that collection, along with Ernie's images and other photographers and other, you know, hip hop historians, you know, Cornell has the largest body of, you know, hip hop ephemera in the world. Is that right? Oh yeah. I didn't oh know yeah. That. Oh yeah. And you know to be a part of that or to be the first to make this happen for other people is so dope. Yeah. And again, you know, when I'm long gone and my my family's long gone, they're gonna be able to research my images. Sure. And yeah. that to me is just is just priceless. Yeah.
You know, think about that for a minute. You know, I think it's so interesting, this like academic uh, interest in hip hop, right? And again, you know. I love coming... it and hate it. <laughs> okay. I love it and hate it. I, I love it that the interest is, is the spark is there. It's finally happening. Cornell, again, was one of the first, if not the first, Ivory League uh, college to yeah. do this. Um, others have followed. Sure. Down South, Midwest, this, that, and the other, documenting or, or archiving those areas' contribution to the culture. Um, the Smithsonian is finally getting on board. You right. know, I have, I have a lot of permanent work that's on display there. Um, Why do you hate but it? I hate it because some of these academia professors, so to speak, who've never picked up a crate of records before sure. or, or anything like that, and, you know, have PhD after their name, they think they're the go-to guru on, on the culture. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, I have a PhD also. My PhD right. is in poverty, hunger, and determination. And I'll never forget, we were, incredible. Was, we were up in Cornell, and it was me, Kaz, Disco Wiz, I mean, you name it, the whole gamut of pioneers, Roxanne and Shante. And we're at this, this, this conference, and um, Mark Anthony Neal, who I shouldn't mention his name, but I'll mention his name anyway, who considers himself, you know, the go-to guy in hip-hop and wrote books and this, that, and the other. He's using my images as references and talking, and he is an image of Kaz, and he starts talking about Kaz, and Kaz gets up in this auditorium of about 300 people, and it's like, why are you talking about me, <laughs> like, in some right. past tense or anything like that. Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. I can still speak about me. And, you know, I should be up there at the podium, which That's is so, so true. Yeah. Which is so true. You know, I was in Germany at this conference. Um, and Trisha Rose, I think is her name, who wrote God knows how many books on hip hop. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, she gets up and introduces herself and she's got a PhD, MS. W, this, that, and the other, and and she's talking, and you know she's using these big old, you know, twenty dollar words, and this, mm -hmm. that, and the other, mm -hmm. and the audience, mostly young kids, they're like, you know, just looking at her, right? And I get up and I said, listen, I don't have a PhD, you know, my PhD is in poverty, hunger, and determination, and they went bananas. Of course. They went bananas. Yeah, and, I'm not you know, surprised. I spoke from experience, right? Not from a research point of view. Sure. And not to take away from academia or anything like that, but it's like people like Grandmaster Kaz, people like Africa Bambada, who was bestowed a visiting uh, uh, professor title for Cornell mm -hmm. a couple of years back. They're the ones that should be speaking and teaching these classes, you know, while yeah. they're still here. Yeah. While they're still here. 
And Kaz speaks very well. And so do the majority of the pioneers. And sure. those are the ones that should be speaking, not these professors, so to speak. No, I mean, look, I think you're, you're totally right. Um, you know, hip hop and maybe music in general, but hip hop in particular has done a really bad job of, um, you know, creating opportunities after the, you, you know, after your career as a, as a recording artist. Right. And, yeah. you know, you think about in, in professional sports, guys go on to become commentators or they, or they work in the front office or whatever. And I think, you know, we've seen very little of that. Um, you know, there's a couple, you know, Jay-Z went and became president of Def Jam. Right. But that's rare that something like that happens. Um, and so I think, you know, as a community, we've done a poor job of taking care of our own and maybe that'll start to change over time. I know, you know, I saw Swizz Beats talking about, you know, after selling verses, he's been talking about creating, you know, income for some of the pioneers. Uh, and that would be dope. That would be so dope. But like, you know, and I, you know, I salute Swiss for even coming up with that and, and some of the other big name, you know, sure. hip hop, but like, you know, who, who's a pioneer versus yeah, a legend? Fair. Of course. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we, we, we speak about it all the time. You know, uh, Kaz coined this phrase, uh, a lioneer, you know, <laughs> and, you know, basically, you know, okay, you were there back in 77 78 right i saw you carrying the record crates for flash doesn't make you a pioneer sure doesn't make you a legend either of course you know what i mean yeah you know uh, it's like what have you been doing since then and continue to do today right and kaz is a perfect example where was there at the beginning and still continues to do what he does best today yeah. Whether it's a, a hush tour, whether it's promoting, you know, hosting the Tools of War Park Jams for twenty plus years, mm -hmm. he's still immersed in 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 the culture, and not too many people can say that. Well, let's give a quick shout out to Christy for bringing us together, oh, Chris, Tools oh, of War. Um, not only Z. for. For yeah. not only for introducing us, but for all the work she does with Tools of War, really continuing yeah. to to bring the culture. I mean, uh, you know, Christy and 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 Fable, who I grew up with, mm -hmm. um, has done and continues to do a, a phenomenal job in promoting the culture, the true essence of the culture, so to speak. Yeah. And I was fortunate that I got to document their hard work over the years with the tools of war park jams a nice. becoming the official photographer for them in the beginning and then opening up the doors for other photographers to document and always supporting what they do you know what i mean because it was from a grassroots right effort you know it wasn't about a paycheck or anything like that it was supporting the pioneers and giving yeah. them a platform and you know up until the pandemic, you know, people from all over the world would, would plan their summer vacations around these park champs. Right. 
And that to me, so dope, so dope. So, you know, thinking about that and, and, you know, we talk about this culture and then there's modern hip hop, right? Which is, (laughs) you know, the, which I think has become the dominant impact on, on mainstream, you know, consumer culture from selling, you know, as you said, the, you know, selling soda to sneakers to, you know, creating billionaires, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, you know, in some ways it's the same culture that we come from in some ways it's different. Right. And, and we have this generation gap where, you know, uh, as we were talking about at the beginning, kids all over the world are listening to people rap and DJs and, you know, music made from 808s. Um, but in some cases, they don't know the history. They have no interest in the history. It hasn't been brought to them. I don't, you know, I'm not going to blame. I'm not going to blame, blame anybody. On, I blame that on their parents. That's and fair. I'll tell you why. That's fair. I'll tell you why. Because I was brought up in a way where I knew my culture. Right. As a Puerto Rican, Cuban, Italian, you like this music, this is how it started. You like this this fashion, this is how it started. You know, that that's, was my upbringing. Yeah. I love photography. I knew who Ansel Adams was and, you know, all these great photographers, Pablo Picasso, you know, dabbing into photography with his light you know, writings and stuff. And so that's the way I was brought up. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, my son, I'll use as an example, could recite Young Jeezy, Little Wayne, this, that, and the other's lyrics, but doesn't know who the hell, you know, <laughs> Grandmaster Kaz or the Cold Crush Brother was, you know, right. is. And it's just a shame. It's just a shame. Um. So I don't disagree with you. I'm curious, you know, understanding also things get lost over time, right? You know, generations, you know, what, what, what we were told about the stuff, our parents, we got some of it, some things don't. So I guess what I wonder is for, you know, for the next generation coming up today, what do you want them to, you know, what are you hoping gets passed down? I, I spoke to a group of, uh, eighth graders the other day and like you know they did 12 11 12 13 year olds yeah and they got a kick out of seeing my images they got a kick out of out of knowing that jay-z spoke about the cold crush who i'm showing them a picture of Mm -hmm. you know so the onus is on us and is as the adults in the room that to show this generation or the next generation to know the roots of whatever you're into. Yeah. Whether it's punk, rock, hip hop, you know, country, music, or whatever, to know the roots. And you, know, you just appreciate it more when you know the humble beginnings of, 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 the roots of something that you love so much. Right. My dad always told me a story, you know, John Coltrane, you know, Tito Puente and all these people, they, they were more famous overseas than they were here. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Because, you know, 
us as Americans, and you know that term "ugly American," we tend to discard what's old because we want what's new. Yeah. And you know, even though we created it, it becomes old in a sense, and we discard it. And you know, it's a shame that you know all these musicians that I just mentioned and artists also have to leave <laughs> America. Right. to recapture or to just to be appreciated and loved more overseas because that mentality doesn't exist over there. Sure. My first, Josh, my first exhibition was in London. Oh, wow. Because nobody, and I'm talking about the Bronx Museum, you name it, here in the States wanted to do Mm-hmm. and after two or three exhibitions overseas the phone was ringing off the hook to do exhibitions here in the states right. and i'm like you gotta wait i'm going back overseas <laughs> you know maybe next year or something like that yeah and it's the god's honest truth <laughs> yeah god's I, honest truth i get it so let, let's talk about the book so born in the bronx Came out, I think, uh, what was it, 2007 originally? Oh, seven. Um, so tell me about why, you know, you're re-releasing it now. And, and I see, like, you got a lot of cool stuff. It's not just a book, right? There's a whole... No, we, it, 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 it's something that, um, you know, I was so fortunate enough to be introduced to Johan Kugelberg, uh, a, a Swede that came here with $200 in his pocket in the early 90s hmm. and uh, was an A&R person for a few record labels and was into punk and got into hip hop and um, uh, uh, just started collecting, you know, rare hip hop albums. And um, Grandmaster Kaz introduced me to him because he asked Kaz one day, by the way, did anybody take pictures back then? And Kaz was like, yeah, this guy named Joe Gonzo, Joey Kane, you know, he took some pictures, this, that, and the other. And, you know, I met him. And he was just floored. He was like, oh, these are the Lost Dead Sea Scrolls. These are some of the earliest images I've seen, this, that, and the other. They should be in an exhibition and, and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you going to buy anything? Right. So oh. he went and put together an exhibition called Born in the Bronx, which traveled all over the world. And after he traveled for a few years, he uh, brokered a deal with uh, Rizzoli and we did the book Born in the Bronx and um, came out in 07. And I refer to it as a scrapbook, a family scrapbook, because everybody involved with it is a pioneer, pretty much. Mm-hmm. From Bambada, Grandmaster Kaz, LA Sunshine, Disco Wiz. I mean, you know, you know, everybody. And that's how I wanted it to be. Yeah. That's how we wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, 10,000 books were made. Good, successful run. Um, we tried to get Rizzoli to reissue it. It fell on deaf ears. They went on to do other hip-hop books because uh, Born in the Bronx was their first hip-hop book that they had ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rights reverted back to us. 
and Johan and I had spoke about it for years to 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 re-release re-release it, even as an ebook. But um, the publishing business is a hard business. Sure, it's it a hard, hard business. Yeah. Um, we got good money up front. I've never seen a dime on the back end of the first release, which is okay because I got to travel the world off the book. Mm-hmm. Um, gave me a new audience. And fast forward to about two years ago, um, Roger Gatsman approached me at the Beyond the Streets uh, exhibition that I was a part of and um, said, hey, you ever thought about re-releasing Born in the Bronx? I just saw a copy on eBay for like 600 bucks. Oh, wow. Wouldn't it be dope to like re-release it? I was like, you know what? We've been speaking about it for years and, you know, I'll get back to you. And I sat down with Johan and he was like, hey, they want to run with it. Let's do it. And it was just like, okay, do we do it? Just re-release it or do we add more flavor to it? Mm-hmm. And it was adding 30, 30 plus additional pages of photography that yeah. Some people have probably never seen before. Mm-hmm. It was getting one X run on board and rock the bells. LL wrote the, the intro. And um, so far, so good. People are, are gravitating towards it, are loving it. And just, you know, just being able to go back down memory lane, so to speak. You know, yeah. I, I get emails like, Joe, I missed the first round i'm so sorry i can't afford the 600 that they want on ebay this that the other i'm just so happy that this is out again and 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 it's expanded and you know so it's been making the rounds and you know doing pretty well and again the publishing business is is a hard business of course i'm not going to be buying a a mansion or buying a car off of this it's just about giving back right about giving back and making it available again, which is to me priceless. Yeah, I, I think so. Obviously, people want it. People want, you know, we want we want everything we can get from this culture, right? Uh, those of us who've who've lived parts of it and want to remember, or those of us who, like you said, are are from the outside looking in and want to experience it, you know, that way. It, it you know, it's it's a little bit for everybody. Um, also, I think you know, I mean, I love the way you're rolling it out because it's, it is, um, you know, that's what hip hop is about, right? Is, is you have, it, you know, it's a community. And so you have Roger, who's an old friend who's been on this show and, you know, cares about bringing this culture to the world, right? Um, oh, Roger's, Roger's dope. Jesse Corey from 1X Run is dope. Yeah. Just to have LL come on yeah. board and support it also is dope. And so you're doing stuff with network, you know, again, Aaron is doing his thing. And so I think that's the other part of this to me is like, you know, any publisher can just dump a book out and hope that Amazon sells it. Right. But yeah. uh, But something that's coming from the community and the culture, you know, is very different. So, and, and I think it's kind of what you were saying before is like, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's going with the flow. It's another piece of, 
that keeps that momentum going and who knows where that'll lead you next. Um, True. So what is next? I'm curious, you know, what, what you got uh, coming up? What are you excited about next? What is next? Um, I'm working on a, uh, Johan and I are planning on doing another book. Um, it's a monogram, so mm. to speak, uh, of my work. Um, not only my archival work, but my current work, my digital work also. Nice. Um, we plan on calling it Conzo. That's it. Conzo. And um, just to showcase my eye, so to speak, because I'm, I'm known for my hip hop photography, but there's so much more in terms of activism so much more in terms of the Latin music and then so much digital work, you know, my digital archives go back 20 plus years of shooting, you know, who's who Yeah. from Jay-Z public enemy, you know, to Alicia Keys, to Paul McCarthy, you know, there's, so there's such a gamut. And um, so that's what we're working on now. And um you know, I was supposed to be in Dubai at the Contact High exhibition. I was supposed to go back to Amsterdam, but you know, COVID put a uh, stop to a lot of the exhibitions that were planned. And um, you know, just uh, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. Sure. I'm just just, and it's not even about staying relevant anymore. I, I think I'm relevant. When you know, open up the history books, my name will be there and stuff. But it's just getting, sharing more of my work, so Absolutely. to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you, you meant, I, I got to go back real quick. You mentioned, uh, uh, you know, you, you, we talked about the Latin music. I know, you know, like you said, your father was close with Tito Puente. I know you grew up around, you know, folks like Johnny Pacheco, uh, Charlie Palmieri. Eddie Palmieri, the brothers. I mean, no. like, they're so... Hip hop and Latin music is so intertwined. Yeah. Look at Sugar Hill Gang's first album. On the album cover, it says special appearance by Tito Puente. Mm. Tito Puente played on their first album in 1980. I don't think I knew that. Well, look at it. That's it's crazy. just so mind-boggling. You know yeah. what I mean? The king of Latin music playing on the first, you know, hip-hop group, so to speak. And, you know, my father tells me the story of Morris Levy, mm -hmm. a famous uh, mafia music producer back then, calls up Tito Puente and says, listen, you know, Sylvia Robinson wants you to to do a tune on this uh, so-called hip hop thing going on. And back then, not too many people said no to Morris Levy, <laughs> Mo Levy. And my dad tells me the story, how they drew to Inglewood or New Jersey and laid down a track. And Tito was known as uh, one take. Mm -hmm. Tito, he'd do a, you know, most of his recordings in one take. That's how much of a genius he was. And, um, you know, just to know that history, you know, and then, you know, Master G 20 years, 30 years later, I have him on video talking about how 
he didn't know who the hell Tito Puente was because he was a 17-year-old kid. But seeing this this guy, you know, play the timbales yeah. on, on one of the, the songs was just amazing. And he would find out years later. But, um, you know, that's another part of my archives that doesn't get as much attention as my hip-hop archive, so to speak. So what did you learn from the time you spent around those guys? Uh, professionals. Professionals. You know, they were making records long before hip-hop was making records. Sure. Um, they partied a lot harder than some of the pioneers that I grew up with. You know what I mean? Um, but constant professionals. Um, again, they embraced me as one of their own. That's Joe Jr. He's okay. You know, shooting at Madison Square Garden or yeah. one day I'm at a recording session. I think D&D Studios. I'm not sure what studio it was. You know, I'm taking pictures of Tito, rehearsing for an album and stuff. And right next door were, were the village people rehearsing. Oh, wow. And seeing them come over to see Tito, you know, that's how great Tito was. Sure, yeah, It was just amazing. And to see the village people who were at the height of their career right mm -hmm. next door to Tito Puente was just one of those stories you never forget. That's so and cool. And it's just, you know, constant professionals and, you know, again, family, yeah. family, you know, and, you know, they're, they're leaving us quicker than, than I want to, yeah. you know, Johnny Pacheco just passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, Eddie Palmieri got to be 80 something years old. He's mm. still performing. I shot him right before the pandemic. Mm. You know, he, every time he sees me, he's like hugs and kisses and, you know, um, it's just, uh, it's, you know, another pioneers, sure. pioneers. Absolutely. All right. Um, I got to get a, a little lightning round before we let you go. Um, what's your favorite city to travel to? Amsterdam, mm. the Netherlands. Been there like six times. Yeah. And not for the <laughs> for the openness of their drug paraphernalia and all that, sure. but for the love. Yeah. For the love. There's an event that goes on out there for the past five, six years called Urban Matters. Hmm. And um, they bring me out there every year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they definitely get hip hop in a big way. I've been out there. For oh, yeah. Time. Big time. B-boys on the streets. And yeah. And yeah, they, they get And it. Germany, too. Yeah. Berlin. Oh yeah, for That's, sure. Yeah, yeah. Who's uh Who's your favorite DJ? You're gonna get me in trouble. <laughs> you can pick more than uh, one. Uh, Tony Touch, I gotta give mad respect to. Yeah. Of course, Charlie Chase. Um, but um, currently, right now, Black Coffee. Hmm. That's, you know, I'm a househead. I'm a househead. I'm a househead. And just to hear his Afrocentric beats and this, that, and the other, his activism also. Yeah. Um, his Black Coffee rocks. rocks. Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I had heard a little Black Coffee, wasn't really that up on him, and I stumbled into his show at Coachella 
I think uh, three, four years ago. And it was like, a, it was a perfect moment. Like what he was doing was exactly what I needed to hear at that time. And with one arm. Yeah. Incredible. With Incredible. one arm, you know, and, you know, there's honorable mentions, Oshulande, you know, a handful of others, Khan, mm-hmm. um, but um, I'm a househead. Nice. <laughs> Love it. Um, what's the last great book you read? Josh, to be honest with you, I, I don't read that much anymore. Yeah. Um, the last great book that I really read was Who Moved My Cheese? <laughs> that's a good one you know the book yeah yeah i, I know it and and we they had a kids version when when my kid was okay. young i used to read it to yeah. him over and over that's a, that's a good yeah. book yeah. yeah and it's like you know i come from a union labor background i was the vice president of my union before i retired and mm-hmm. you know my good friend pat who was the president at the time gave us all this book who moved our cheese and I'm like wow it just reinforced yeah, what I've sure. already, yeah. For sure. How well, I live. And we, sometimes we need to hear those those lessons over and over or in different yeah. ways, for sure. Yeah. Um, what movie do you think you've watched the most in your life? West Side Story. Uh-huh. West Side Story. Um, it just, the connection to my mother, the, the sure. connection to growing up in a time where gangs were prevalent. Uh, uh, the decadence, the decay around, I, I cry all the time. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a great movie. Who's somebody that you've learned a lot from that you haven't met? I can't answer that. Pretty much, uh, I, I, I've been fortunate to, to meet a lot of people, whether it's just in passing, a uh, handshake, an embrace that I've learned a lot from. You know, Michael Rappaport, as crazy as that motherfucker is, <laughs> you know, he just, he doesn't hold back. You know yeah, what I mean? Love it. Love it. Yeah. And, um, you know, Swiss Beats, who, who I've had the honor to meet on several occasions, who appreciates my work. Mm-hmm. What he's doing in the art world, besides the, the music world, is just yeah. phenomenal. And um, so, you know, I've pretty much, I mean, met everybody that I've learned from. Um, that's yeah, great. that's my, yeah. That's a, that's a good problem to have. Yeah. Um, okay, last question. Uh, if I was on your team or we we work together, uh, what's something I would hear you say over and over? I'm Joe Conzo. Let me take pictures. Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> Why? Because in today's world of music and photography, photographers are treated like cattle. Sure. We're allowed to shoot the first two songs of an act. We're shuffled off to the side so the act can finish. Right. And we're shuffled back in to shoot the first two songs of whatever the next act. I don't shoot that way. 
I don't shoot that way. If I can't shoot the way I shoot, I won't shoot your event. Perfect example was Rock the Bells. They had a long run of, I think, six, seven, eight years from coast to coast of putting on, you know, Rakim, Public Enemy, Wu-Tang, you name it. And they didn't know who the fuck I was. It was Chuck D that had to tell the, the promoters, like, that's fucking Joe Conzo. He gets a leave him alone pass, walk wherever the fuck he wants pass, yeah. and I promise you, you won't even know he's there. Mm-hmm. And that's, if you were on my team, you would hear me say, when I shoot events or anything, yeah. just leave me alone. Mm-hmm. One, I, I know how to respect who I'm shooting, because if you don't want your picture taking, taken, I'm not going to take your picture. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Two, I know how to shoot the picture and get out of the way. I won't become part of the act as you see other photographers up on stage all in front of the, the, the artist. I'm like, yo, <laughs> you're not part of the act. Right. You know what I mean? If yeah. you can't shoot from wherever and not obstruct the show that's going on, you're not a photographer. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to shoot differently than everybody else. It's not about just the act. It's about what goes on before the act and after the act. So perfect example, Chuck D, who I love to death, who respects me so much, you know, seeing Chuck D warm up before going on a crowd of 30,000 people doing jumping jacks behind the stage and stretching and, and, and drinking water and things of that nature, yeah. you know, just getting in the right mindset sure. because his act is so physical, mm-hmm. you know, moments like that you don't see. Right. And, you know, I want my images to stand apart from the hundred photographers that are in the pit. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if I can't shoot the way I want to shoot, I'm not going to shoot your event. You're not going to be in my next book or you're not going to be in my archives. Period. End of story. I love it. But that's a great way to finish, man. I appreciate you. No, Josh, thank you for all that you do. Continue doing. I'm so glad that we connected with Christy's email blast. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, let's let's keep in touch. Hopefully we'll meet up in person one of these days. Yes. Yeah, uh, you know, I'll travel again, uh, dude. And and you know, everybody, go get the book. Follow you. Uh, what's what's where they? Where should people follow you on social media or online, whatever? All the social platforms, JoeConzo.com, my website. Just type in Joe Conzo. Right. And yeah, yeah, support, support right. local artists. Right on. Thanks. Get- Yeah, that was Joe Conzo on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Make sure you go get a copy of Joe's book, Born in the Bronx, at 1xrun.com. And uh, leave us a comment. Tell us what you thought about this one. Hit us up on Twitter or Facebook at Rebel Radio Net. You can find videos of a lot of our interviews on our YouTube page. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. If you like these talks, you can get more at the Stereo app. And you can even join in our live social conversations 
talk directly with me or my guests, ask questions, share your perspective, uh, you know, tell us what you think, all that. Download it now and join us live this coming week. Stereo.com slash rebel radio net.